take over doubt, we gon' make it Show the world that I shine in our greatness Keep it real, never gon' fake this Till we make it, till we make it Taking off, flying high like a spaceship Take control, take a shot Alright, welcome back everybody This is Danny from Shake the Earth Podcast We've got a special guest And the boss with us today uh, <laughs> Summer Harris is the CEO and founder of Baby Bling Bows Her story is pretty incredible when you think about how long it takes to reach uh, success in a startup. Um, 13 years. We're going to go into that and uh, she's going to share all of the ups and downs and what it took to get her to where she's at today. So Summer, we've got you on today. This is the Shake the Earth uh, podcast. We're excited. Thank you. Um, I've known you for what, two, three years? Yep. And um, we have been able to kind of share ideas and she was one of the first ones I thought of having on the podcast because of her story. It's pretty phenomenal. And we're going to go into that today. So Summer, tell us a little bit about where you are today with Baby Bling Bows. Today, Baby Bling is one of the top selling children's products in Nordstrom nationwide. We also sell private label at um, Dillard's nationwide. We have a full line of products at Bloomingdale's, Von Mauer, about 950 specialty stores across the nation. Um, our own retail website. We just launched on Amazon. We just launched in April a subscription program that jumped to about a thousand subscribers almost overnight. So that's been awesome. So, you, so, you, so I want to step back. Yeah. Baby bows. Bows. Baby, baby bows, headbands. Like, that you put them in your in your baby's <laughs> yeah. on your head on your baby's head. That's it. And you're telling me the all these numbers are because of of bows. Again, you're. I mean. You're talking half of the babies are, are girls and half are boys. You've actually created a market um, for baby bows. Right. Um, how'd you come up with the name? Uh, that was all my mom. Okay. I started the business 13 years ago with my mom, and okay. that was her. <laughs> I so tried that was to her, ditch it. That was her contribution. It was. And I you tried can't to go ditch away it. from it because it's I kind can't. of a legacy name. I can't. It's um, coming back around, though. You know, everything comes back in style. <laughs> that is... Uh, Initially, you would probably think like jewelry. Did you ever think right. of doing jewelry or was that part of the name? No, it, initially our first style had a little rhinestone on it. So it okay. kind of made sense. We've kind of phased away from that now, but. How many SKUs do you have? Uh, probably well over 350 SKUs. 350 SKUs. Any given time you have uh, how many in production or is that 350 at, at Oh that my time? goodness. So we, we right now are, are very um, vertical regarding our production. And okay. so we're manufacturing somewhere between... Oh, what's the number? 25,000 headbands a week. Wow. Mm -hmm. That was one of the cool things about your story when I first got to meet you is, is how you're producing these, these products right. and where you're producing them. Right. And so I want to go into, I want to go into that a little bit because it's really unique. You don't see a lot of, um, entrepreneurs taking that kind of risk. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to go into this like 13 year period. Okay. Um, our listeners are, you know, Stay-at-home moms, uh, they have kids, maybe single moms, um, a lot of uh, people looking to maybe improve one aspect of their life. Um, one of the cool things about your story is how long it took you to reach overnight success. Right. Right. <laughs> everyone, everyone sees um, baby bling everywhere. You're in Nordstrom, you're in these major high-end retailers, you're doing extremely well online. And I think they assume, oh, you know what, I'm going to do that because that, that looks easy. Right. Um, 13 years ago. Take me back there. Uh, that that was when it was my mom and I, and we were kind of making everything ourselves in the beginning for easily the first year um, in a sewing room at her house. And after the first year, we kind of realized that you can't 
you know, I, I don't have every skill. And that was um, when we decided to hire sales reps to kind of get our product out there. 13 years ago was the day back before the Etsy days and yeah. the social media days and the easy access that everybody has to create a website. So we were building our business all out of wholesale. And so finding sales reps was was our key to growing the business at so that time. you had to get into retail mm-hmm. and you had to, that was kind of lifeblood. Yeah. What was your big, your first big account or how many, how many stores? I mean, we like were boutiques, I, I assume kind of, yeah. kind of a herd of midgets type thing where right. you have to get into a wholesaler and they take you out to, uh, you know, several boutiques. Right. I mean, I would say our first year we were maybe had under a hundred okay. um, specialty store boutiques. Four years in was about the time that we, um, got our first Nordstrom order. Which okay. that that in and of itself is never overnight. You know, they'll place one fashion order. So Nordstrom has and most big retailers will have their fashion line and then they'll have a carryover line. And so when you're just manufacturing a fashion product, they're ordering it from you twice a year. Got and it. so it sounds like you it's a really you big can't deal. Really count on that for <laughs> yeah. cash flow, right? Right. It sounds okay. like it's a really big deal, but it's not. Okay. Did they did they cause I'm super familiar with with uh, retail. Uh, and that's kind of how you and I got connected. Mm-hmm. But like, did they set like benchmarks or hurl marks that you had to meet that kind of added some pressure to, yeah, once you're in, you have sell in and then sell through, right? So did you have to meet those, um, those right. goals? Right. Um, for us, fortunately, we've always surpassed the sell through goals because our product at the time was um, meeting a need in the market that nobody really wanted to focus on. And I think that was a big benefit to us is that we were content enough to be small and only make one thing and focus on it and yeah. do that really well. Where for in the past, um, it was always a apparel manufacturer that would just have a little sideline of hair accessories and they kind of never really focused on it, really limited the colors, didn't really put a lot of attention to the detail of that at all. And so for us, we were coming in here saying, we're gonna make this one little thing awesome and we're gonna do this really, really well. And because no one else was doing it, you know, we were easily meeting those sell-through goals. The hardest thing I think to understand when you're new and you're young and you're not making a, lo- a lot of money is those, the margin goals with the bigger retailers. Yeah. To go into that because a lot of people don't factor in margin mm-hmm. when they consider manufacturing and, and marketing. Right. Um, especially if you want to grow. And as you know, before this podcast, you and I were talking about some of the things, um, you know, that we'll bring up here is uh, maybe some of the things you would have done differently. Mm-hmm. But talk about that margin because people don't factor that in. Right. And, and I feel that I feel very fortunate that we started when we did because we did build all of our own margins around wholesale costing because I have so many friends now who've jumped in the business and put up a website and they've started at retail and, and it's really hard to backtrack with those yeah. margins. So if you're going to start something, try and be aware of those um, in the very beginning. And for Nordstrom, they have a, a 60% markup margin that we have they to really? hit. They, mm-hmm. they, they have really to make high. 60. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that is pretty incredible. Like when we were working with Costco with one of my other companies, Costco was like 14%. Wow. And like all the way up to like Walmart and, you know, Walmart was right on 30. And uh, obviously Nordstrom is in a different league. It's a different, right. different industry altogether, but uh, 60 is high. 60 is really high. And I think that's even something that's hard to choke down because here you think, okay, my wholesale cost is great, but Nordstrom wants a discount off of that to yeah. meet the margin because they've got to turn around and sell it at the retail price that you're going to sell it at as right. well. So you kind of are, you're competing with them and you're, um, it's, it's kind of a hard ba- battle. It's a hard balance to still be profitable when you're dealing with a big retailer like that. Yeah. And they don't bend not, very easily. No, 
They don't really care. No, because if you don't make those margins at the end of the year, you're basically cutting them a check for the difference. Yeah, chargebacks. Yeah, you pay you pay to be a vendor, yeah. a big vendor it's like that. Yeah. It's a legal shakedown is what, it, like right. re, re, what retail is. Right. And that's, everybody plays the game. Pepsi, Coke, uh, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, tell me about the first time you walked into the, you went into Seattle, talked to Nordstrom, and you probably didn't feel like you were super well prepared. No, I didn't. And but <laughs> fortunately, I had my sales rep there. Okay. So I feel like she was one of my biggest mentors, um, Joanne, from the very beginning, because even just getting a sales rep at the time was really hard. At the, the second year of the business, I thought, we can't, I can't do this. I can't pedal things. You can't walk into a specialty store like an old fashioned peddler and say, yeah. hey, do you want to buy my headbands? They're super cute. Like nobody works that way. Brokers really are like, a lot of them are like former buyers. Yeah. And so they have relationships. And so that's, I, I wouldn't downplay that to anybody no. that's looking into retail, really find a good broker. Right. For sure. And that was, that was key. And so she had been in the children's industry for 20 plus years at the time. And so she was very, very confident in, um, her ability to sell it. And fortunately she could kind of mask anything I was lacking with her confidence. What'd you feel that day though? Like what, like what was your, um, I, I remember meeting with our first buyers, like for my first company. And it was like, it almost felt like do or die. Like if you don't yeah. get it, you're going to die as a company. Like you needed that. At the Maybe time, I, I think I, I came into that because I didn't go start attending those meetings with my rep for several years uh, until okay. we were so, having so some good success. After you were established. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell me about working with your mom. Like I know a lot of people um, think oftentimes when people are looking at starting a venture, they want to, they want to go into it with somebody they know. Right. Like, so that's why you have a lot of partnerships with friends and family. Right. What was that like? Um, it was great for me. I, at the time we started the business, I was just moving back home from being away for a few years in the Bay area with my family. And, and so that was a good way to kind of reconnect with my mom. And we have a lot of, um, uh, similarities as far as style or the things we appreciate in clothing or accessories. And so that was easy to do that. Um, beyond that, we have very different mindsets as far as, as running a business. So it was good for a long time. Um, she, I'm a creative person, but the creativity was the fulfillment for her. And okay. so when it became more operational and less creative, she wasn't into it. As that's much that's kind of where you shine though. Mm -hmm. Cause you're uh, just being around, you're very operational like yes. you're very organized and you can command a room. I've, I've seen that. And so that's, that's, <laughs> that's really is a big talent. A lot of people don't have, yeah. um, I want to talk about how you're manufacturing. Um, listeners to this podcast might, I know a lot of them have questions of, I want to do something more with my life. I want to do something more with my time. I don't want a nine to five. Right. I'm a stay at home mom. I maybe have some time um, to do something. Um, tell me about how, like, where did that idea of, I'm going to let you explain it, but like, where did that idea of, of how you manufacture here, especially here locally, how'd that come about? It came about just my mom and I being overwhelmed ourselves and just starting to say, okay, I have this friend, which Cindy, who's my partner now is yeah. one of the first that we brought in of saying, you know, she's really creative. I think she could do this. Let's bring a couple of friends in and see if they're interested in helping us out. Actually, before you go into that, explain what you're doing, because I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't explain that. Like how you manufacture is phenomenal. Explain yeah. how you do it. And then uh, all of our products of are manufactured by stay at home women in our community, stay at home moms. Um, they all work from home. They pick up their bin of materials every Wednesday and they drop off their finished products. So they have a week to complete product right now. We've got just under a hundred women that are sewing for baby bling. A hundred women yes. that rely on you. Yes. It's awesome. It's amazing. And it's, I mean, we live in a, a community where, um, being a stay at home mom is, is important 
because of their own values or whatever. And so there's just a, a giant pool of women. We actually have a waiting list of people that are ready to sew. News spreads pretty fast when you yeah. treat people right, right? Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all word of mouth. We don't yeah. advertise anything. Yeah. I'm sure people have told you, probably some investors, people that are interested in your business, mm-hmm. ship it overseas. Yeah, we've, you know, you get you get where it's hard. Managing the women and the the manufacturing side and production side of that is its own business in, yeah. its, in and of itself. I have one um, awesome employee that that's, that's 100% of what she does. Um, she actually has an assistant now just to be able to kind of stay on top of everything. And so I can see that, but there are so many risks to me and I don't want to tie up all of my, my dollars in that, you know, when you move to a big manufacturer like that, then you're, you're held to these minimums and maybe I don't want 250,000 pink headbands. I know I'm going to need a little bit of turquoise and I'm going to need some yellow. And so for me, we can really control that, um, what we're making. So there's, and, and, and I know, just because I know you, you also like providing people with opportunities. I do. Right? I mean, there's there's a deep impact in your community, uh, in the people that you're working with, the the moms that are earning money on the side for right. doing something that is, you know, they're good at, obviously, and then it, it works for you as a business. Um, you know, I would say never never go away from that. Yeah, um, that is that is something that's super important to me. And I, I've, I've talked about it a few other, other times before about how there's just kind of this big... Um, focus right now on female empowerment. And yeah. for me, I feel like that's how I'm contributing to that within my community because beyond whatever the the financial benefit it is for their family, I feel like it gives something back to them personally. At least I hope I hope it does because I know it did for me. It's really hard to be it's hard to be a stay-at-home mom and still feel like you're accomplishing something at the end of the day and that you completed a task or that you um still kind of have your own identity. And I think that's really, really important because in turn, I feel like that affects our children and our communities so much. Just having that sense of, I don't know, it is empowering. You know, I completed, it's so, it's hard when you're a stay at home mom and your kids, you're cleaning up the same mess every single day. And it's hard for you to, at the end of the day to be like, oh my gosh, I completed this, or I did this hard thing. And you know, your kids are little and it's, 18 years later that someone's going to look at you and be like, oh, you did a great job with that kid. You know, it's so to give them these small successes every single week, I think, I hope impacts them personally. I think it's, I think it's extraordinary what you're doing. Cause it, again, most people would say, you know, I can go to China, I can get them cheap. I can get whatever design quality, right. Uh, you're not going to get the same quality attention to detail, but also I mean, it kind of shows you digging in your heels and saying, no, this is the way we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. We're going to make it work. Right. Um, Part of that resilience is going back to this 13 years, like you're 13 years into this thing. Right. Uh, And of course, you were a millionaire the day one that you started this, like you've been (laughs) making millions, right? Of course. Yeah. So that's the story that people see now. Right. Um, How many times do you think you were not going to make it through that, Um, the first couple of years or the first several years? uh, The first several years. I mean, so many times, so many times I think when, I mean, like this, the, um, what is the, I can't think of the acronym, the CPSIA, you know, guidelines when all of, when the government starts having all of these children's safety acts and guides and things put, put in place, oh, yeah. like that's really scary. That yeah. was a huge, huge yeah. scary thing for on, us on their, on and all the testing and requirements testing. and yeah. all of yeah. that, like that was a really big deal. And then just, you know, I, I, of course, am paying all of my employees before I'm paying myself, yeah. but just those scary times when you're like, holy crap, I'm not going to make payroll yeah. 
for people. Those are those are farther between now, but they there's still those scary moments. I always ask everybody this: Do you ever feel comfortable like, no. with where you're at? Mm-mm. And every single person I've ever asked that has always said no. That's good. And, and that's <laughs> and that's coming from a, like several entrepreneurs. I that's kind of a personal question I asked. I asked um, our last guest the same thing. It was like no, like you never really feel comfortable, even with your with your business growing, mm-hmm. adding employees, adding products, adding sales, like even growing. And like, it's just, you don't really ever feel comfortable because no. you constantly have to be taking bets, whether it's new product line mm-hmm. or new headcount or expanding, you know, recently you moved into a big, how big was your office space before? Um, probably 2,700, 2,500 square feet. You moved into 10,000 square feet. Right. Um, uh, I, I remember you going into that. That was a big move. Like yeah. it was, the question was, okay, can we support this? Right. Um, so you're constantly putting yourself in situations where you feel uncomfortable. Right. Right. And insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you ever get used to that? I don't think you get used to it, but you hear that other people feel that way and you kind of feel not so isolated because yeah. being the CEO or, or the founder or the person who's responsible for all of these people, it can be very, very isolating. And I think there's just some, some solidarity in knowing that everybody feels that way at some point. Yeah. Right. Um, tell me a little bit about, uh, where you see the future going, like with, with Bose, like you, I know you're adding some new products. Right. Um, and then how do you keep your design fresh? Cause you've got competition now. Yeah. The social, you know, the social media platforms have allowed people, Shopify type uh, platforms have allowed people to really, in essence, build a website in a weekend and start selling right. whatever they want. So how do you, how do you stave off uh, competition or create your, your, your identity as you go? You just mentioned this new subscription service, which I think mm-hmm. is awesome. I want to, I want to get into that as well. Yeah. I think it's just trying all of those new avenues because for us, we, we expand a little bit in our product line. Like we're, we're doing a swaddle set now that has a matching headband. So if we can kind of add little products here and there that coordinate with what we're already doing. But for us, we, we never want to forget that it's about a product and it's about a really quality product. Um, and I think that's kind of where we are going to stay strong. And we're fortunate enough. I mean, when you get in with these really big vendors, they're very loyal. They're not out there shopping for the best bargain. And if there's something that they're seeing out there that we're not currently doing, they're going to come to us first and say, will you do this? And, you know, we'll be able to jump on it from there. But I feel like we also have a lot of cool opportunities to collaborate with other companies, especially locally here. There are so many children's um, apparel companies. And Utah so is like a hotbed it for is a innovation and, and like <laughs> clothing and, and CPG. It's just, it's crazy yeah, how many companies are based For sure. Here. So we have a lot of opportunities to collaborate with them, which kind of takes a little bit of the design strain off. And we did a cool um, program last year with Care Bears. That was our first licensing um, I saw that. That was that was like everywhere. I saw that on social media. Yeah, everywhere. It, it was a cool um, learning experience for sure. But I think those those opportunities are are next for us as well. That's that's uh, that's awesome. So you work with uh, now it's kind of three of you, Cindy right. and and, um, and Millie and Millie, your right. sister. And how is that working with family and friends? Um, it actually works really well because. Um, Cindy's very passive and I'm very bossy and I think, I've on, your, I think, my I think on your desk, <laughs> I remember seeing a placard that says, I'm not bossy. I'm the boss. There you go. And they can handle it. Yeah. So it, it actually works well. We balance each other out really well. Someone has to though, yeah. right? especially with how competitive things are when there's money and finances tied to it, mm-hmm. you have to, you know, maybe people call it bossy. I think it t- taking control, right? It, you're going to have to, you're gonna have I, to captain yeah. that ship. And I, I also assume the most risk. And so for me, I kind of, I could justify it that way. Yeah. 
a lot of people don't understand that mm-hmm. when they're coming into a business or they're an employee or even a minority share. Like right. there's, there's always a burden of, of risk to be taken somewhere. Mm-hmm. How do you, um, how do you look at risk nowadays? Like after going through 13 years of really a risk and kind of a volatile or, uh, you know, chaotic time period, how do you look right. at risk and analyze risk now? Um, I think a little bit more, I, I'm definitely more confident because, um, I know that I'm not going to completely fail if I make a mistake. You know, I know that, that I can bounce back from it. And so I think I'm a little bit less risk averse than I was in the beginning for sure. But it's still, I, I still question a lot of things, but also I think I've learned to how quickly things roll through, especially in a business like ours where, okay, we're producing uh, and selling spring, summer fashion right now, right? And for us to be like, oh, something didn't sell, a print wasn't very successful or whatever, and rather getting really hung up on that, I know, you know what, next week we're starting spring, summer 18, and I'm gonna be able to correct those mistakes. And you just kind of are able to, you're almost working in the future a little bit enough to where you don't focus on the mistakes you made. I love that you just said that because the first guest, and I'm, I'm gonna kind of always do this and kind of refer back to people I talk to because there's a lot, there's a lot of, they're, they're common denominators. Mm-hmm. You, you said, don't get hung up on the mistakes you make uh, because you know you're kind of always, you're working in the future. Right. They said the same thing. Most people will internalize and take the blame for maybe a bad product launch or a bad hire, almost to the point where it's, it's detrimental and it prevents any progress mm-hmm. going forward. I kind of do the same thing where any mistakes that are made, it's like, okay, step back, remove yourself from the mistake. Look at all the reasons why you made that decision, and can you? If you have to take responsibility, take responsibility, but don't take fault. Like you're 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 doing the best you can with the information you have at that time, right? Um, and so that's how I look at risk now. Is like if I can do as much research as possible, place resources or capital or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. If it goes bad, there's not a whole lot you can do, right? Right try to recoup cost, try to recoup some of that money or the time or whatever it might be. Right. But if you're constantly afraid of making those, most people are, are afraid of actually taking risk. Right. And so they actually never get to that point. Right. Um, but you over 13 years and, and going forward, however long you're going to have this before somebody buys you or something, you're going to keep making those mistakes and you're going to keep making, taking risk. Right. Right. Um, tell me a little bit about, uh, how you handle uh, your work life and your family life. Cause you 13 years, your kids were young right, right at that time. And like, how'd you do that? Cause a lot of, again, a lot of our listeners are, are stay at home moms. They are young, they're eager, mm-hmm. they're seeing social media, all these things happening on social media. They want to be part of that. But, and I've got one or two kids or three kids and my right. husband's working and I don't have a ton of time. How'd you do that? For me, um, I was at home during the first, I don't know, seven, eight years of everything. And so it was a little bit easier to balance that way or else I'd go down to my mom's um, to work there and I would just bring the kids with me. I'm trying to think, my kids were eight, six and four when I started and then and I had a brand new baby. So he was a little bit easier to cart around. For me, I feel like it, and like I said, it's kind of grown, the business has grown with I guess my youngest child to where he, by the time he was in, you know, first grade and school full time. And I started dedicating more hours a day working toward the business. That's when I feel like it started really, really growing more. 
but I don't think there's anything wrong with with just taking it slow. You know, if you yeah. want to start something now and your kids are little, just do what you can do. Don't be scared if you're not um, meeting everybody else's expectations. You know, if you are going to make a baby hat and you have time to make 50 and you sell all 50, you know, it doesn't need to reflect negatively on you if you're not restocking again for a week. You know, yeah. I think I think people who want to start a business sometimes and they have some limitations start thinking too big right off the bat. And I don't I just don't think there's anything wrong with baby steps. Killing your dreams and goals because you haven't reached them within the first year yeah. or 13. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, for oftentimes sure. Oftentimes that's that's what's going to kill your momentum and kill your business. Before. I think so. I mean, everything for me was baby steps. Ever I don't have any type of business education. I mean, everything was trial and error and Google and you know, I've got to just knuckle down and figure this out myself. Um, and there's just, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think you should be scared if you, I don't think you should be scared of failing. And I don't think you should be scared of being really successful too. Cause I think a lot of people talk themselves out of it mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm making this headband all by myself right now. And I can't even wrap my brain around if Nordstrom were to call me tomorrow, tomorrow and order 500 headbands, you know? And so yeah. people kind of get scared of something successful happening and thinking they're not going to be able to handle, handle that. Yeah. That's actually, that's a really good point to bring out. A lot of people maybe throttle or hamstring their success because they, they don't allow their minds to go and say, what if, yeah. right? Um, you, you've had some, you've had some really, really good learning experiences throughout your business. Right. Uh, you've also had some, some hard knocks, right? Like what was probably one of the biggest hard knocks that you, you experienced, uh, before you, maybe you got your tipping points. Um, I think it was hard for me because I'm I'm very stubborn. I like to be able to do things by myself, right? And this was what I was trying to grow and this was about me and and my husband was really supportive and but wasn't involved in any of of the business other than just supporting me and um I had been in at my bank for several year, several years. We'd had a few Nordstrom orders. Like we were a healthy business by no means crazy um, profitable, but healthy. Mm -hmm. And I went to go get a credit card just for like a cash flow purpose, you know, overdraft. Yeah. And they wouldn't give it to me unless my husband signed on it. And that's, for me, that was just, it was really, really hard. That's like, uh, yeah, obviously we're a lot of the business I'm associated with. A lot of them are focused around women and like, mm -hmm. you know, enabling women and to be powerful and to do what they need to do. And so hearing that, that's, that's discouraging. It's that's really tough. frustrating. It's hard. It's hard too, because the product that I manufacture, I mean, this, this banker was male and I'm not saying that anybody, everybody yeah. looks at it that way, yeah. but he doesn't right off the bat, doesn't understand the value in it. And so that was just, that's a discouraging thing for me. And it's still, I mean, we have the numbers and we have, you know, all of this growth to kind of, um, solidify ourselves a little bit more, but I, I'm still in situations where people are like a bow. I don't understand just like a little bow on a baby head and they, they can't wrap their brain around it unless you're, you're a consumer of the product. Yeah. And that's, um, I think it goes to show a couple of things about your personality and, and like your team and what you've built, like this resilience mm -hmm. to like questions like that of like a bow. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, there there are ways. And I think I love that because there are ways for people to make an income or make a business or create a business from right. something that's maybe unassuming. Right. It's kind of sitting over there. And and I mean, I'll, I'll brag for you because I've known you for a while. <laughs> you're, you're this is a multimillion dollar business. This right. is a big business. It's right. not small. Um, and so 
Yeah, I love that you're you're resilient enough. I mean, there's that's kind of why you're the boss. You're mm-hmm. the bossiest, <laughs> right? Um, so, what do you think your biggest tipping point was? Like, if you were to look back, I, I always look back and say, okay, here's a tipping point, and the tipping point might have taken years to get to. Uh-huh. But like when that fell, maybe you, maybe one morning you woke up and you said, you know what? Okay, we're in a position now where I can go out and take risk, or I can hire people to, uh, you know, before the podcast, you were saying. Uh, one of your biggest regrets was maybe not hiring early enough. But right. what would be one of your tipping points that you can look back on? Um, I feel like for us, it was at once our retail sales um, became about even with our wholesale sales. Okay. That was a huge, huge event for us. And I'm talking that was eight, nine years into the business. Um, eight to nine years yeah. into the business. At that point, you you finally realized, okay, maybe we were okay. Mm-hmm. Up until then hyper concerned about right. the longevity and the life right. of the business. You know, cause everything was, we were great and we were profitable, but once you can sell and you can capture that retail margin yourself, you yeah. know, that's just the extra cushion that you can then turn around and put back in to that the business. Is, that, is, that is sitting in the furnace for a long time. A long time. And a lot of that was me. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have, I bootstrapped everything. You know, I never had a loan. I never had yeah. a a trust fund or a windfall or you know anything. It was it was everything was. I was paying myself a little bit most of the time. There were weeks mm-hmm. that I or months that I didn't. You know, but everything was kind of go, going right back into it. And for us to be able to kind of take a jump or push or say, you know what, l- yes, we're going to invest in all of this marketing or the next thing that we think is going to really launch it. Um, that was hard. I just I didn't have the cash flow for a really long time. That is, that is incredible. That's a long time. So what would be, there's like so many questions from that. Like, (laughs) because I think most people, I think the statistics, the stat is 95% of businesses fail within the first year. Right. And then within the first five years, 95% of those that made it past the first year fail. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not only are you an anomaly, but like you you did it without institutional capital. You did it without investors. uh, Really... I, I want to say formal education because you're mm-hmm. obviously educated. Not really. You make some good, you make some good decisions. I <laughs> got some life um, education, street smarts, school of hard knocks. Yeah. Um, what do you, what would be like the biggest piece of advice you'd give to somebody that's listening to you now that says, you know what? I'm 22 years old, 23 years old. Maybe I've got a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that I don't want to be working for somebody. Right. I want to do something great with my, I want to shake the earth. Like what would, what would that piece of advice be? I think it's just, oh, it's, it, any way you want to do it is okay. Any way that you, you find that works best for you to be successful is okay. I don't think that there's one clear path to getting there and getting it done. And if, if you're going to stay small for eight years, like I did, and you're going to barely turn a little profit, it's okay. I guess I, I think you have to justify what you're doing it for. For me, I was fortunate enough that um, my husband had a great job and it wasn't anything that was financially needed by my family. And I think having that added stress maybe could have made me make different decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I feel fortunate in that way that I was able to kind of chill out and not freak out about every little thing. Um, but I, I just don't think there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. And so if you if you have an idea of a way to do something, don't let somebody talk you out of it. I'm sure you had people talk you out of it. Oh, for sure. To change things all the time or you need to bring someone in to consult and tell you how to do this or 
I don't. I can do it. I can do it my way. I can do it without having a business education. I can do it without maybe knowing all of the right formulas or strategies or reasons that people make decisions. I mean, I I trust my gut enough to to know that I can do it that way. Um so you are 8 years into this thing. Mm-hmm. You finally hit a tipping point. Uh I've known you what for 2 years? Yeah. No, Just a little bit longer. 3 than years? Mhm. Uh, the last six years, you kind of feel like you're, you kind of hit your stride. Right. Um, really the last three, two years, you guys have just so last accelerated. Year, last year we had just under 2000% three year growth. I, I just read an article on you cause I Googled you <laughs> and you were on the Utah Valley 40 under 40. No, was it? No, it was fastest growing. Fastest growing. Sorry. Yeah. So fastest growing and you were number six. Right. And number 10 in the state of Utah. And number 10 in the state of Utah, put, put some perspective around that and to the degree that you can with numbers. Like Utah is a hotbed for, for sure. entrepreneurship, business growth. Tons of businesses are moving here mm-hmm. because it's very business friendly. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of competition. Right. A, there are a lot of businesses. Right. And for you to place that high on that list um, it was definitely hard to place that high on the list because we were so far into our business. You know, we were competing against a lot of people where their their year one was like year one within it's kind of they um, they get that percentage based on I think it was like the year 2014 through 17. Right. Yeah. So for a lot of those people, they started in 2014. So, of course, their their margins were even higher. Yeah, so cause they start from zero. Yeah. It's cool. It was cool to still be seeing that much growth that far into it, for sure. So last year, 2000% growth. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It's awesome. How many total employees you have Four. you have a hundred who help you make. Right. And then They're how many independent in the contractors. And then we've got 20 ladies who work at the warehouse. Doing All women. Mm-hmm. I've gone to your office a couple of times. <laughs> Is it scary? No, it's, it's actually really, <laughs> really cool the way you have it set up, but I definitely recognize that I'm the only male sometimes when yep. I go in there. Um, that's a cool thing. You're empowering yeah. a lot of people. I hope so. People are watching you. Yeah. Right. Women, your employees, uh, you know, your, your contractors, they're watching the moves you make. Right. Whether you know it or not, there somebody out there is watching you and saying, you know, I want to do something like that. I want to do what she's doing. That's cool. Uh, which is kind that's of a cool, cool thought. Think. Yeah. Um, what do you do for stress? I always ask this of my friends, uh, buddies who run businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think stress and managing family time. And the, all the other expectations are really important uh, because if you don't, you burn out real fast. Right. I've noticed. Right. Um, I I'm a reader, so reading is kind of my de-stressor. But I'm also I'm trying to be healthy, and I've just very very recently, which is really sad at my advanced <laughs> age, I've learned how um, how much healthier healthier and better I feel mentally when I'm exercising. So. So. Every day? Almost. So Almost we do, we have a yoga instructor that comes to our warehouse and teaches us all yoga every all Tuesday. Well, anybody who wants to participate. Really? Yeah. Every Tuesday and Friday. So I do yoga twice a week and then I try and, and run a couple miles two or three times a week. That's, that's a, that's a pretty neat perk to yeah. have somebody come in and do. It's so fun. It's a bond. It's a total bonding thing. Too. I was going to say it's, it's almost like a team building slash, uh-huh. uh, stress outlet that you do for your employees. I've also gone there where you actually have uh, to your office where you actually have somebody applying eyelashes to your employees. Yep. Sometimes we'll have different little vendors come in. We've got chiropractor and that kind of. You take care of people. Uh Uh-huh. 
Well, it's it's important to me that all of all of my girls at the warehouse also don't forget about themselves. You yeah. know, I have they're just awesome and I love how loyal they are to me. I mean, I appreciate that. I think more than I ever tell them, but I I love to feel that loyalty, but I also don't want them to get burnout. You know, if you I tell them all the time. You know, I especially my 40-hour-a-weekers that also have children and families. You know, if you need to schedule your hair appointment during the day, please do it. Go like, ahead and do you it. You know, take care of yourself. Take a little bit of time, and and they're better for me when when they can do that. Um, I think that goes a long way, especially nowadays. That goes a long way for morale. You're going to get the best uh, out of your employees, but also it doesn't feel like work. Right. Like it feels like a place where they actually want to be, where they can make an impact. Um what do you, what, what would you say your, um, I got one of these, one of these questions here. Uh, this is one question that I always ask friends as well who are entrepreneurs or I think are successful. And I, I'm always fascinated by people. What made you think you could do it? Um, like I, I, I think I mentioned this to you in an email before, but like yeah. I had a buddy when I started my first company, had, I had zero, I had nothing. Like we was starting from scratch his dad, him and his dad asked me like point blank. And it wasn't like, Hey, why do you think you could do it? It was like, what makes you think you can do it? Like the tone of voice was, I I could still hear it. (laughs) That's not how I'm asking you, but I'm thinking, I'm asking what made you think you could do it? For me, I was a consumer. And so I knew the product was really, really good. And I knew that, um, I was never going to forget about making a quality product. And I knew that I was always going to be honorable and honest in my dealings with everybody else. You know, as far as like customer service, we're going to take care of you. Vendors, we're going to take care of you. Just, I always knew that that, that I was going to do that. And I knew that my product was original and it was mine and nobody else was doing it at the time. And I just, and I'm very, very stubborn and <laughs> maybe overly confident in a lot of areas. That was a good thing though. It is I, I just knew, I knew, I knew my intentions were good and I knew my product was good. That is what I call that is like going back to your default. Mm-hmm. Like when all the times, you know, the first eight years just kind of suck. It's a grind. Like you're paying out money. You're maybe not making any personally, but like what your default is. And that, mm-hmm. that at the root of it over the years, that's what I've kind of learned and kind of coined in my mind. What's my default? Mm-hmm. I tell a lot of people or, you know, in, in, in our current business, um, your, your why has to be greater than your daily obstacles. Um, because most people get caught up in the daily obstacles they're right. in your face, right. you know, making car payment, making house payment, those types of things. And, and really that all those questions kind of go hand in hand with like, wh- what makes you can, you can do it. What's your why? Um, I want to, I want to f- finish this by having you, um, tell me what your, what are your goals for, for baby bling? Like what are you going to continue growth? You, can you anticipate Five percent or five thousand percent growth? Or are you? I don't. I don't want any inside secrets, but I want to know. Five thousand percent growth would be amazing. Would be amazing. Yeah. Exit time. I. I don't know. I don't know. I. I, We're working right now on international distribution. You know, we've we've, we're killing it in Japan. Korea is taking off right now. So you are in Japan now. Mm -hmm. Okay. When did you get there? Um, I. I want to say last year. We got an awesome distributing partner that we're working with. Okay. So you're going. You're. You've gone Mm -hmm. international. Yeah. Okay. I think that's that's a big goal for me, just to kind of be everywhere. I think for me, because I'm making one product, I've got yeah. to kind of tackle every single sales channel yeah. that's available to me. So, um, but that's also a balancing act. 
that is uh, that's part of the innovation and like stubbornness, mm-hmm. right? Of realizing what your strengths and weaknesses are. You also, before I sign off, I want to ask you about the subscription. Okay. Like, tell us about that and how that works and like, tell us, I mean, what was the idea behind that? Well, the idea behind it was, oh, we have all of this inventory that's maybe two, two seasons old and we can't okay. bring it back as the same thing that we've always had it. So maybe let's try and, and rework it into something a little bit different and set up a program where, you know, our inventory isn't massive enough for us to offer it to everybody yeah. um, and just kind of set up a, descri- uh, a subscription So did program. you limit it to how many subscribers you We did take? in the very, so the very beginning we thought, let's just do, what did we say? 500, I think okay. was like our opening um, opening window and you get two headbands, you don't get to pick them, but we show you what they are every single month. So you have the option to kind of skip that box or um, continue on with it. We have two boxes, one that has two of the same style, one that has two different styles. Um, in the beginning, they were only one of the headbands was something that was totally exclusive. And okay. so for us, it was just, it was kind of the in thing. Everybody kept saying, you should try subscriptions because we love to buy your stuff. And so, I mean, we got, we opened it up to 500 and probably had 300 subscribers within the first five or six hours. And we were completely wow. blown away. Holy smokes. To where you we didn't anticipate that kind of response. No. No. Did you build it up over time or was it like? Um, we did. So we 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 didn't want to do it poorly. Yeah. And we made a lot of mistakes the first couple of months. It was kind of hard learning the platform and, and trying to figure all of that out. Yeah. Um, and then we opened it up to another 500 and those just got, you know, swallowed You're up. You're up the same. right around 1,000 and you just really mm-hmm. launched it like barely. Yeah. And then we'll open it up, up, up next month to another thousand. But now we're at the level to where we can produce something specifically for Got subscriptions, so which now is it's, really it's like cool. created a whole side business within a whole business. side like, business. And yeah. I mean, we had no idea that there were these buy, sell, trade groups. Have you heard of these well, on like Facebook I, I, and stuff? I, I saw one last, like, I think Millie and I were talking about it and there was, you have like this black market for baby bows. It is. It's so it's, crazy and to me. And these people of, become collectors. Yeah. And so it's really awesome when, you know, the subscribers are getting something nobody else can get and to kind of see them auctioning it on buy, sell, trade. It's so I, I bizarre. I saw one photo that you guys have up in your office. I think it was maybe at your old office, but it was one of your customers had, it looked like hundreds oh, of bows. Oh, easy. Like hundreds of bows. I think she has everything. It's incredible. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But, but it goes to like what you've built. Like mm-hmm. people want to be associated with that. It's so it's, cool. It's not just, yeah, it's a great product, but it's not just a product. It's actually, they're, they've bought into your brand. Like they are part of your brand. Right. And they're evangelists for you. Yep. And they're helping spread that. Um, last question. What is your favorite design of your product? Like it's probably got to be the classic because it's been with you forever, the cla- but, but the, what's your favorite product of yours? Our knot. I mean, I always say, everybody asks me that, and I say our white knot because it's our best seller. But it really is. It's it's beautiful. It goes with it's everything. It's kind of timeless. Everybody loves it. The knot, the knot style that we have is was another one of our tipping points, you know, that just mass appeal and and something that was different when we launched it at the time. So, so that product will always have a, like a special place in your heart. For sure. It was, and I, and that was really the first design that came out of, me and Cindy, you know, after my mom left, my mom and yeah. I were a part of all of the design. So that was kind of our first one together too. That's awesome. So where can people find you? Um, babyblingbows.com, babybling on Instagram and babyblingbows on Facebook as well. Awesome. Now, if we have some of our listeners that may have questions, are you okay if they reach out via social media? Of um, course. 
we, we we're open here. Like people come in and ask us questions. We try to help people. I think where you're, you have, you have reached a level of success. I was kind of telling you people are watching you. Awesome. Um, I think, uh, if they want to reach out, I, I would love they, it. Okay? I would love nothing more than to, um, help somebody who, who has a dream to do something. That is awesome. Summer, I want to thank you. Summer Harris with Baby Bling Bows on today. She's the CEO and founder. Uh, she dropped some awesome information on her 13-year uh, voyage, Odyssey. Sure. It's not It's not over yet, though, right? It's not over. Um, she is incredible, and you can check her out at, at babyblingbows.com and online. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Danny. That was fun.